Thanks for tuning into Upward Way Podcast. If you're looking to be spiritually blessed, moved, and inspired, there is no doubt you are in the right place. On our show, guests recount their encounter with Christ and how their lives have been transformed through the grace and love of God. And now, please welcome our host. Hello and welcome to Upward Way. I am your host, Marlon Walters. My guest today serves as the director of the LNG White SDA Research Center at Northern Caribbean University. Dr. Robert Wright, welcome to the Upward Way. Thank you so much, Marlon. My pleasure to be here with you. I must first say thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to share with us today. Yes, thank you. Could you share with our listeners? your faith journey, and how you came to being a Christian? Well, it's a long journey, but uh, I'll see how much I can cut it short. (laughs) Well, actually, I was not born in a Christian family. I was born in Kingston, the capital city of Jamaica. I was born to a single-parent family in a single-parent home. My mother had five of us children to take care of. My father was an alcoholic and... uh, tobacco addict, smoker, and uh, he basically left my mother to take care of all of us, and he went to live with another woman. So my mother was very poor. She didn't have a high school education, um, primary school education she had. So she had to work um, as a domestic helper. And so life was very difficult for us growing up as children. And um, On occasions when she was not able to pay the rent, she would come under serious verbal attacks from the landlady. So I grew up seeing all of those abuses that my mother endured. When things became so economically difficult and uh, she couldn't manage anymore, she sent me to the country to live with my grandfather. No, that's her father. My grandfather was a Christian, a Moravian Christian, And uh, for the first time in my life, I began to attend church. That was when I was about 11 years old. He would take me to church. He was my Sunday school teacher at church. So I was introduced to God and to church at age 11. I remember one day I was reading the Bible at home. I read Exodus 20, the commandment about keeping the Sabbath the Seventh-day Sabbath. And I said, Grandfather, how, how, how is it the Bible says that we're to keep the seventh day and we go to church on the first day, on Sunday? And he said, well, you know, it's tradition. We grew up seeing our parents and grandparents doing it. And so we just follow suit. Now, the Lord saw that that wasn't an adequate answer for me. I just took it because that's what he said, but uh, that wasn't adequate. I was 12 years old at the time. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old when I had moved away from grandfather. I was living with a cousin in another town attending high school. And it was uh, during that time that I got introduced to the seventh day Sabbath. And I'll tell you how. I was at home one afternoon and I felt bored. I felt I wanted to go to the movies, you know, to the cinema to get over the boredom. But... As I went down into the 
center of the town, I heard the blaring sound of a loudspeaker. So I stopped to see what was going on. A lot of people were gathered together under a tent, and uh, this person was preaching. He spoke about the change of the Sabbath or the transfer of the solemnity of the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday by the papal power. And he gave the time prophecy of the 1260 years. Now, this, is, this was news to me. This was exciting. This, this was spellbinding to me. I stood there transfixed as I listened to this man, you know, expounding the prophetic scriptures. I was fascinated. I was interested. I was intrigued. And incidentally, that was the last day, I think, of the crusade. And when the altar call was given, I walked straight to the altar. There was no hesitancy at all because I discovered truth that I didn't know about before. And I wanted to understand a few years before when I asked my grandfather. So I got baptized that following Sabbath, just a couple of days after the, the, the commitment. And uh, I started to attend the church. However, I did not remain in church for long. Went there for a couple months, maybe two or three months. And, you know, as a poor country boy, I didn't have many, you know, changes of raiment or garment or clothing to go to church. I had two pairs of pants <laughs> and two shirts. And uh, in those days, you know, the bright colors were in vogue. So I, I had a bright green pair of pants and a bright red pair of pants. I had a red floral shirt to go with the red pants, and uh, I had a blue shirt to go with the green pants. So as I went to church from week to week, you know, I began to, you know, figure that persons were looking on and commenting that I was wearing the same thing over and over week after week. And I felt a little conscious about it. So I decided, well, I'm going to take a break for a while so that they wouldn't remember what I wore the last time. So I took a break for a week, and then I took a break for two weeks, and then three weeks, and I never went back. And so about, for about five years, I did not go to church. I graduated from high school. I went back to Kingston. I started working at a bank. And on Saturdays, on Sabbaths, a friend of mine from high school, he and I would go to the plazas to walk to i shop and so on and in the afternoon i would go back to my to my home now one saturday afternoon after one o'clock i was on the bus going home the bus stopped across from an adventist church the hagley park seventh day adventist church persons got onto the bus persons alighted from the bus it was afternoon after one church had just ended and persons were outside fellowshipping and as I looked through the window across to the people fellowshipping, the Holy Spirit spoke to me personally. He called me by name. I heard his voice as clearly as you are hearing my voice now. He said to me, and the accent was a, a beautiful British sounding accent. He said, Robert, you should be at church today. I ignored the voice and I went about my business. The following week, the very same thing happened. I was in the bus across from the church. Church had just finished. People were outside fellowshipping and having fun. And as I looked across, the Holy Spirit said to me again, Robert, you should be at church today. 
And I answered this time in my heart, and I said, yes, Lord, I know I should have been at church, and I'm going to return. Now, the following week, it was a most difficult thing for me to dress up and to go to church. I lived in a community where everybody was doing everything on Saturday. It was a market day. It was a work day. And to see me, the odd one out, walking with a Bible in hand to go to church, it was kind of a challenging. But I went. And when I went, I met a young lady who was a classmate of mine in high school who had transferred in third form to Kingston. And I hadn't seen her for a number of years. So when I met her, she introduced me to some other friends. So there I had a little you know, support group right away. The following week, I went back and I kept going back. And that's where it all started again for me. I got rebaptized. And uh, later on, the Lord called me to go to college to prepare for the ministry. So as I look back at my journey, I can only say God had his plan and uh, he worked everything out perfectly in order to get my attention and uh, to guide me into the path that he wanted me to go to become this minister of the gospel for him. Incidentally, when I was a little boy living in Kingston, I, as I said before, I didn't know anything about church before I went to live with my grandfather. But there was an old Christian woman in the yard, living in the yard where I was, and uh, she liked me a lot. And she would often, you know, call me into her house and she would give me food. And, and one day, this I didn't know about this until recently, um, a certain woman who lived in the yard told my mother about it when she heard that I was in ministry. She told my mother that this old woman looked at her one day and pointed to me when I was about five, six, seven years old. And she said to her, Miss Lynn, look at that little boy. Do you notice that he's different from all the others in the yard? And uh, Miss Lynn couldn't see the difference. But uh, this old woman said, that is going to be a pastor. That's a pastor. In the old Anglican tradition, she would say parson. So that's a pastor, a parson. I didn't know anything about this. And it was after I graduated and started ministry, this woman, Miss Lynn, called my mother and asked her about me, what I was doing, where I was, etc. My mother told her that I was in ministry. And it was at that time that Miss Lynn remembered what this old lady had said decades before. And so God had his hand on me. He had his plan for my life. Even though I grew up in a home where I never went to church, and I knew nothing about God, basically, but he guided my steps into the path that he had ordained for me. Quite a remarkable story, and I'll concur with you to say it definitely was the hand of God. In sharing your faith journey thus far, you have recounted at least two instances when you were heading home and you passed a church and you felt the tug of the Lord on your heart. In your Christian experience, how would you say God most often speak to you? And maybe what is your preferred method for him to communicate with you? Those two occasions were two of the few occasions when he spoke to me verbatim. Verbally, I could hear his voice. Generally speaking, however, he speaks to me through dreams and impressions on my mind. For example, I might be in the office doing some work. And then the thought comes to me, so-and-so is coming to see you. I do not hear a voice, but the thought is impressed on my mind that so-and-so is coming to see you. And then within a few seconds, 
that person comes through the door, okay? And he speaks to me that way quite a bit. On occasions, he would give me dreams. He gave me dreams about the woman I should marry, okay? I saw her mother in the dream. I saw her in the dream. Um, even when I didn't know her mother, the Lord showed me, and he gave me passages of scriptures to support the dreams that I got. And uh, everything worked out exactly as I saw in the dream. When I was to buy my first car, he showed me in, in a dream, a little red car. Um, he showed me a certain woman who came to my office and she took me to the parking lot where the car was parked. She gave me the key to the car. She got in on the passenger side and she said to me in the dream, drive it, it is your car. Later on in the dream, my brother came to me and he said to me, I, I got a loan from the bank for you and all you have to pay back is X amount. And in the dream, I saw the first two figures in bold and the rest of the figure in light print. In reality, I was in my office one day and this same woman came to my office and she said to me, I have a car to show you that uh, you may like. Well, prior to that, she actually said to me, I saw a car in my uh, community that is being sold. And when I saw it, I thought of you. And I said to her, do you know the owner of the car? She said, yes. And I said, uh, do you think he would allow you to drive it up from where you are to the campus so that I, I could see it? And she lived maybe about 20 miles away. And she said, yes, he would allow me. So that particular day, she brought the car, she parked it in the parking lot. She came to my office and she said to me, come and look at the car. So I went down and as I saw in the dream, Marlon, as I walked down the stairs, I looked across at the parking lot. And as I saw in the dream, there was this little red car, uh, Toyota Starlet. And she took me down. No, I hadn't told her this, all of this detail about the dream. She took me down to the car. She gave me the key and she said to me, it is your car, drive it. I went in and opened the passenger side, front seat, front door, and she came in and sat. When I drove the car, it's as though I had been driving that car for years. It felt very familiar and so on. Now, I was getting a loan from my employer to purchase the car, but the loan fell short by a certain amount. I went to the bank and I met a friend who I worked with in Kingston when I was at the bank in Kingston. I didn't know he, he had been transferred. And I said to him, Jerome, I need a loan. I need a loan, but I need a, an unsecure loan, a small loan. He said, how much do you need? I said, X, Y, Z. And when Jerome calculated the interest and the cost of processing the loan, it came up to the figure that I saw in my dream. Okay. And it worked out exactly as the Lord showed me in the dream. And so I can only say God is just awesome. He speaks to different persons in different ways, but he speaks to me in dreams and impressions on mind and so on. For God is indeed an awesome God. Just to revert a bit to a bit of what you have shared thus far, growing up in a single parent household, it must have been really challenging, to say the least. It must have been really challenging. And you alluded to a bit of that earlier on. In terms of your coping strategy, your coping mechanism, what has been your strategy for overcoming your challenges, your difficulties? I have learned over the years to trust God. Sometimes when you're going through the challenge, it's uh, difficult. You're uncertain as to what to do, where to go, you know, how to get out of this thing. 
but I have learned that my wisdom is foolishness. When I try to depend on myself to solve situations, I get stressed, I get confused, and I always seem to make mistakes. The Lord has come through for me, you know, over the years, and I have learned that when I have challenges to lay them before him and to wait. Sometimes the waiting period is a bit uncomfortable. However, he always does what he has to do in the right time. I found that um, when, when I wait on the Lord, things always worked out so, so well. And sometimes the way he works it out, I look back and I say, but I could have done it. This seems so easy. But I didn't have the, the idea at the time. I didn't know what to do. But the way he worked it out, <laughs> it seems so easy, as if I could have done it myself. But really, I couldn't have done it because I, I, I didn't have the wisdom to know what to do. God works in mysterious and remarkable ways, his wonders to perform. People invest a lot of time and energy into developing their bodies, their careers, and just about any aspect of their lives. But oftentimes they neglect that spiritual dimension. How do you actively pursue spiritual growth? Well, personally, over the years, I learned the importance of spending quiet time, quality time alone with the Lord. I find that spiritual development and transformation of character happens easily and naturally when I'm in a relationship, a consistent relationship with Jesus Christ. I have found over the years that my thoughts are refined, purified when I submit to Jesus, when I spend time reading his word, when I communicate with him in prayer, because sometimes I'm bomb bombarded with uh, evil thoughts. You know, you know, you don't have to make an effort to think anything evil. It just comes naturally. And I find, however, that when my relationship with Jesus is not very close, those evil thoughts become more uncomfortable. They happen more frequently. They bombard my mind and it makes me agitated and miserable and so on. So I have discovered that the most important thing in my spiritual growth and maturation is just to be consistent in my time with God. The reading of the word, the um, time spent in prayer and meditation and one of the things that has kept me going over the years is as I reflect on my life from the past and as I look at the hand of God leading and guiding and opening up avenues and doors and uh, realizing that God is on my side, he has uh, been protecting and providing, he has my interests at heart. It always amazes me as I look back the way God has worked in my life. And it makes me feel special as though I'm the only one on the earth that God has such interest in. When, whenever my relationship with the Lord is not very strong, I get depressed easily. I get discouraged easily. I remember some years ago when I discovered why I was depressed because I had depression for a long time without, before discovering why it was. As a Christian, I'm not supposed to be depressed, I said to myself, but in my first year at college, or second year, at some point, whether second or third, I don't remember, but I was at college one day, I think it was the second year, and I lived on the dorm, and uh, usually we have uh, dorm worship at seven o'clock on a Tuesday. That particular Tuesday, I decided that I wouldn't go to dorm worship, I would stay by myself and have my own personal worship. So I went to a classroom, 
And between the hours of 7 and 8 p.m., I had my personal worship. I sang, I read the scriptures, I prayed, and, you know, just had a good time with the Lord. After that one hour, I felt so refreshed. I felt as though I was walking on air. I could feel the peace and the joy of the Lord within me. The depression that I had during that day disappeared. And that's when I discovered that the reason for my depression is not having quality time with God, not spending quality time with his word in prayer and in worship, personal devotion. From then on, I began to spend more time, give more time to, to the Lord in building my relationship. Whenever I get depressed or discouraged, I can trace it back to inconsistency in my devotional experience. So I know what's going on. You've been in ministry for several years. Has there ever been a moment in your ministry, in your Christian journey, that you had doubts? Not necessarily in the fact that God existed, but maybe doubt in terms of the direction that he wanted to lead you? Not that I have doubted my calling to ministry, because I know categorically that he has called me to ministry. Sometimes I wonder whether I'm doing what he really wants me to do. Sometimes I wonder about choices to make and so on. But uh, I always put the matter to the Lord and ask him to show me. And uh, he has always showed me in various ways. Sometimes he would uh, use persons to indicate. I would ask him and he would use persons to answer the prayers. Uh, On one occasion, for example, when uh, I wanted to leave the university because things weren't going as I wanted them to go. And uh, I was planning to, to go back to my conference to, you know, to work. One Saturday evening, I was sleeping and I heard a voice. It was so loud, it woke me up. And the voice said, Robert, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And I woke up and I said, Lord, is that you? I didn't get a response, but I knew it was the Lord speaking. Now, when I came back to work on that, the following Monday, the Lord worked everything out. All the doubts, all the, the, um, the uncertainties were worked out fully, plainly, completely. And I knew exactly what the Lord willed for me from then on. It is good that you're a keen listener. When I hear you sharing that story, I am reminded of the prophet Samuel who heard the voice of God, but he thought it was Eli. In your case, you definitely knew it was the voice of God. You currently serve as the director of the LNG White SDA Research Center at Northern Caribbean University. Could you just share with us a little bit as to what does that entail in terms of your day-to-day operation? Well, my responsibility entails guiding students and researchers who come here to research. It also entails my going to the churches across the island to give instruction, counsel, seminars on spirit of prophecy, prophetic matters, not just the prophetic writings of Ellen White, but the Bible prophets as well. So I will hold symposium, seminars, and so on, on the spirit of prophecy, the work of the prophets in Bible times, in our time, end time events, Um, that are indicating that uh, the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ is near. I uh, currently host a program on the radio 
well, we're going to begin a new series shortly. The program is titled Prophecy Yesterday, Tomorrow, Today. And uh, we look into the gift of prophecy in the church from the time of early Bible times coming down to our time and how it uh, ministers to the church and to people today. This center is a resource center for matters on the prophetic gift in the Adventist church and the history and theology of the Adventist church. So people come here to do their research on those areas and those topics. I have to be a resource person to help them with their research and so on. It's a, a dynamic kind of activity. I don't stay in the office on weekends. I'm out in the churches as they call for you know our support. We just have to go. I like your choice of word, dynamic, and it means that you have to be pretty resourceful. Now to ask a hard-hitting question. Persons often join the fellowship, join the faith, and during those moments, they are often excited about finding God, finding comfort, finding someone to listen to. But somewhere along the line, for whatever reason, they sometimes drift away from the faith. From your experience, what are some of the reasons individuals have walked away from the faith as just given up on their Christian relationship? There are many, but uh, in my experience, persons have given up on the faith because sometimes they do not understand what the word is, is, is saying. The teaching, for example, they do not know how to use scripture to interpret scripture. So they hear um, criticisms and they, they hear uh, persons with new ideas and those ideas sound exciting and vicious, plausible. They tend to run with these new ideas, but if they had the knowledge to know how to use scripture to determine or to decide whether or not these are true, they would have, you know, have stayed. Um, persons have had difficult relationships with persons in the church, leadership and otherwise. They feel that um, they can't stay in this place with all these hypocrites and stuff like that. Some persons believe that the church is not preaching the message that is relevant for this time, that the church is political and um, they're, they're not aware of what's happening. And so the, the lay persons, you know, there are some very charismatic lay persons out there who are preaching present truth while they, the, the pastors are not doing it. So you find people um, moving out of the mainstream uh, church and uh, joining with some of these um, other groups. They talk about corruption in the church. They talk about um, all kinds of stuff. And they figure that if they leave the church and join these other little groups, they can um, live a purer life, a holier life, and so on. So they get misled to think that they can be or make a holier church. And quite often things go awry. False doctrines, fanaticism, and uh, all kinds of other things happen among these groups. And we find that in history, a lot of these things have happened. You've heard of the Jim Jones massacre in, in Guyana some years ago, offshoot groups. You've heard of the David Koresh um, situation in Waco, Texas. Uh, there were many Adventists who went and joined David Koresh because he was charismatic and he seemed to have, you know, miraculous powers and uh, Holy Spirit power and was, you know, preaching the truth and, and all of that sort of thing. We need to remember that God has one church. 
the church is not perfect. It's not going to be perfect for a long time until Jesus himself pours out the Holy Spirit upon us and bring us together in perfect harmony and holiness. The, the devil does not sit by and allow God's program to go on unhindered. So he's going to bring divisions in the church. He's going to cause schisms in the church. He's going to bring in leaders that are not consecrated. He's going to have members in the church who are not consecrated. And he's going to cause problems in the church. And so if we take our eyes off Jesus and begin to look at one another as our problem and uh, leadership as out of touch with what's going on and decide that we're going to just break free and go our own separate ways, we're making a big mistake. There has never been a time when the church has not had problems. There has never been a time when there have not been infiltrators in the church who have tried to destroy the church, but none of them has ever succeeded. Jesus said in his word that uh, concerning his church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, he did not say that the gates of hell will not assail the church. He says the gates of hell cannot prevail. So we must always remember that we are in a spiritual warfare. We must be vigilant. We must understand that Satan works deceptively. His best method is to divide and conquer from within. He doesn't stay outside and fight. He comes in to fight and he pits us against each other. And we sometimes think that we are um, one another's worst enemy. The enemy is Satan and his demons. And he is turning us against each other. And he does it successfully in some congregations and cause quite a bit of division and all kinds of problems. But we need to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus and his truth. Brilliant. I love your response. And my takeaway is this, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face. Allow your gaze to be affixed upon the Lord. Uh, what advice would you give to someone right now who is currently struggling with their faith or someone who may be finding themselves doubting the very existence of God? What do you say to this person to comfort them, to cushion them, to encourage them along this journey? Um, someone who's struggling with uh, a relationship with Jesus, um, I'd say, don't condemn yourself. We all struggle. There's not one of us as Christians who is perfect. We fall down, we get up. When babies are learning to walk, they get up and they try to, you know, amble a few steps and they fall down. But there is this, this desire in the heart of the baby to walk, to conquer this um, you know, new way of doing things, of moving about. So he gets up and mother or dad is there, you know, inviting him to come along, come, 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 come. And the child is emboldened, encouraged, motivated by the parent. And the child develops assurance and courage. And he goes, he falls down again. But mom and dad are still there saying, get up, get up, come, let's go. And that's what God is doing for us. We stumble and we sometimes feel distraught. We feel, you know, that God has, has condemned us and uh, people are condemning us and we're not going to make it. But God says, get up, come, I'm here. I'm going to support you. And if we get up and move on, though we may have moral weaknesses, and, but if we exercise courage to keep going, God will indeed take us through. Sometimes some of the greatest challenges that we face is uh, the challenge of discouragement, the challenge of uh, depression and 
you know, doubt and stuff like that. But we must always focus on the word of God because our journey is a faith journey. And the Bible tells us in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And as we read the word of God daily, it encourages us. We see that there were persons in Bible times with um, weaknesses like ourselves, and they struggled as well. You look at the woman who was caught in adultery. You look at the woman of Samaria at the well. Uh, she had a serious um, sensual, sexual problem, having so many men. Uh, you look at what Jesus did for Mary Magdalene, how he cast out demons out of her, you know, and he restored all of those broken lives, okay? So if he did it for all of those people, the demoniacs and the sick and the paralytic and the lepers, he restored all of them. He brought meaning to their lives. If we look at those stories, we can draw courage from those things, knowing that our God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He's still the loving, caring God. So let us not condemn ourselves, but at the same time, let us not be um, comfortable and complacent with our unlikeness to Christ, okay? We must always be striving for the mastery, striving to be like Jesus, not in our own power, but as we pray, as we study his word, as we submit to him, as we live in obedience to his precepts, we will grow stronger and stronger. It is going to be a battle and a march, always a battle and a march. We will not enter the kingdom of God on a bed of roses. It's a fight, it's a warfare, and because we're in a war, there will be casualties. But the casualties are not unto eternal damnation or death. We may even die living for Jesus. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection of the life. He that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Right? And he that dieth, um, though he, believing in me, he shall live again. So we must remind ourselves that as Christians, we can never be losers we can never be defeated, okay? By man's standards, we may seem as though we're defeated, but by God's standards, as long as we're walking with Jesus, remaining faithful to Jesus, we may hit our foot against a stone, we may stumble, we may bruise our knees, we may struggle along, but we are never defeated. Which is the easiest route to take in climbing a mountain? Is it on the smooth, grassy side, or is it on the rough, rugged side? especially if the dew has fallen. You try to climb a mountain on the smooth, grassy side, and you're going to be sliding down ever so often. You try to ascend a mountain on the rough, ragged, rocky side, you will have handholds and projections that you can hold on to. You'll have depressions in the mountainside where you can put your foot into to you know, provide support for climbing up and you're going up. You will be bruised. You'll, be, you'll have cuts all over your skin, but you are ascending. You're constantly ascending, and you will eventually get to the peak of the mountain, and there and then you'll have rest. So our struggle is an upward one, but as long as we hold on to Jesus, as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we can never be defeated despite the challenges of life. Amen, amen, I love that. We will receive bruises, we will receive cuts, but as long as we keep going, we will summit the mountain. Wonderful, wonderful. Those are really inspirational words of encouragement. In terms of looking ahead, what is something you feel that God is calling you to do right now? If you were to start a new ministry, 
what would it be and who would it serve? Well, I have constantly been asking the Lord, what next? Some years ago, I asked him for a radio ministry and he gave me that. So uh, each day I do the Sabbath school lesson on the radio, but I also wanted a prophecy ministry on the radio. He has given me that as well. Okay. So in my prayers, I have recently been praying, Lord, give me Jamaica for Jesus. And I've extended it. I said, Lord, give me the world for Jesus through the radio and the internet ministry, etc. Okay. God is well pleased when we ask him for big things. I don't know how he's going to give me the world <laughs> uh, for Jesus, but I want my ministry to become worldwide. I'm planning to have something, you know, online, you know, through YouTube and so on. And uh, we'll see how God multiplies it. We just wait and see. Yes. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. I must once again say thank you for coming to share with us your story on the Upward Way. Uh, just before you go, do you have any parting words to share with our listeners? Well, I'd just like to say to our listeners, the signs of the times are indicating that uh, Jesus Christ is very close at the door. We don't have much time left. Uh, this world is falling apart. Man's experiment with economics, with politics, with various um, philosophies of science and whatever else have all failed. And the only thing that really stands is the bastion of truth, God's word and his promises to the human family that he will come again and usher us into a better life, a better existence, a better world where there's equity, there's justice, there's righteousness, and there is love for all races and all peoples. I want to encourage our listeners to focus on Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the one who made us in his image and likeness and who went as far as to pay our debt that we couldn't pay by dying in our stead, taking that eternal punishment of death for us and giving us in return eternal life. That's what he intended from the beginning before sin happened. And so he has made it possible for all persons to be saved. And it is not going to be by man's philosophy that we are saved. It's not going to be by man's religion or tradition. It is by Jesus Christ. We are saved by the grace of God through faith. And I want to encourage all our listeners, give Jesus a chance in your life. And when you do, maintain that relationship with him because it is only as we maintain the relationship that we will maintain our eternal life, the gift of eternal life that he has given us. Though he has given, us, given it to us, we can forfeit it by neglect. So we need to be vigilant, to be watchful and consistent. You have been listening to Dr. Robert Wright, director of the LNG White SDA Research Center at Northern Caribbean University. I do hope you enjoyed today's episode. Do join us again next week as we'll have another interesting guest sharing his or her story of faith. You've been listening to the Upward Way podcast, the number one audio production show for people who want encouragement and reassurance in a muddled world.